and it's something that is not just something written on pages. It is something that is written on our hearts and we live it out. And that we really are brothers and sisters in the Lord. There's a huge difference between being religious and being a Christian. A huge difference. And I pray that our goal is to be Christians and live out that Christian life that Jesus has demonstrated for us. And that we allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us and through us. Because it's his work, and as God says, we are his workmanship. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for being so dynamic in our life, for allowing us the privilege of experiencing thee and knowing thee and seeing you transform our lives and change our lives. And Lord, thy knoweth our downsettings and our uprisings. Thy knoweth our going out and our coming in. And we pray, Father, that you would always order our steps, that you will always have your hand on our attitude, that you would always, O oh God, be transforming our minds from this fleshly mind into the mind of Christ. We pray, O oh God, that you will help us to see, not just what we see on the earthly plane, but what we can see on the heavenly plane. That, Lord, that we see beyond what we see. And we can see the hand of God moving. And we can see when Satan's involved in something. And that, Lord, you're the one who continues to speak to us and encourage us and build us up. And, Lord, we're never alone. We're not in this battle by ourselves, And we're not believing in a fairy tale. But that, Lord, you are real. And we want to experience more of you. We want more of you in our life. We want you doing more in us and through us. We want you to prick at our conscience. We want you to correct our anger. We want you to correct our speaking. We want you, oh God, to change our habits around in a way that is pleasing unto you. For, Lord, we belong to you, for you have bought us with a price. Not with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of your Son, our Lord, our Savior. You have paid the price, for you gave him unto us. That you might be able to do that which you so desire in each and every one of our lives. We belong to you because we've been bought by Jesus Christ. And we pray, O oh God, that you would teach us as your people how to walk daily with you, how to live for you, and most of all, O oh Lord, how to love you. Teach us to love you beyond this fleshly love. Teach us to love you with your love, with an agape love. Teach us, Lord, to love you 
that, Lord, we can give every ounce of our strength to your kingdom, to your work, to your service. Lord, would you minister to your people? Would you minister to all of us in your presence today? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you give us ears to hear? Put Gus Brown to the side. And Lord, speak to each one. And we'll give you praise and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're picking up on Pentecost now in Acts. And that thing of Pentecost, and what's so important about it? It was important about the coming of Jesus, yes. And what's the difference between Jesus' coming and the Holy Spirit's coming? Is that Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus came in something we could see, you could touch, you could feel. But the Holy Spirit didn't have a body. The Holy Spirit is not something that we really see. The Holy Spirit was not something that only came for three years. The Holy Spirit has come to be with us forever. As long as we live from the time we accept the Lord Jesus Christ until we see him face to face, the Holy Spirit is with us and living in us. And we have need of the Holy Spirit because really he is the power source for the Christian. He is the real power source for the Christian. Uh, Pentecost was important. And Jesus makes that very clear to us that it's important. For Jesus basically said, if he didn't go away, the Spirit wouldn't come. The Spirit wouldn't come. And he definitely wanted the Spirit to come because it's the Spirit that guides us into all truth. It is the Spirit then who begins to equip us and prepare us to live a life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is the Spirit who teaches us how to die to ourselves that we might truly live for Christ. It is the Spirit who has to minister to us and he has to equip us. And oftentimes we don't understand what well, Jesus, Jesus, he's in heaven, but then Jesus is here. Then Je- No, he's here through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. But he lives in us because the Holy Spirit is not there to brag about who? Himself. He's there to bring glory to Jesus, the one who purchased our salvation, the one that was obedient unto death, the one who came to do his Father's will. Turn with me to St. John chapter 16 and take a look at verse 7 with me. And I imagine... It was hard for the disciples to understand this because their whole thing, hey, let's make him king. And oftentimes, 
We want to make Jesus something else other than what he is. But Jesus will always stay his course. He says in that verse 7, he says to his disciples, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. It's for your good. See, uh, sometimes children don't know it's for their good that they leave the house. Sometimes they think parents just trying to get rid of them. No, when you get a certain age, it's good for them children to leave the leave the house. See, uh, I don't mind you come back visiting. Just don't come back planning on staying. See. And Jesus says here, it's good for you. And I, I imagine they're scratching their heads just like children do. What do you mean it's good for me to leave? Well, after so long of living with me, you can only learn so much. And there's so much more to learn out there. And your dependency upon me at some point has to cease. That you are now dependent upon the God in whom you know. And there's that change that takes place. As long as they could see Jesus and Jesus led them and provided for them, they don't want Jesus to go nowhere. Hey, if you got somebody who can feed 5,000 people, are you worried about eating them all? You worried about paying taxes when he tells you to go down there and get a fish and pull the money out of the fish's mouth? Are you worried? You want that person to do what? Stay right there with you. And he simply says, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, the Holy Spirit. Now it's hard to understand sometimes that something outside of the home can teach you so much more. There's something outside of the home that can give you so much more. But understand this principle. The home is always the base. It's the foundational. But there's a lot more that can be added to the life as they step out of the home. And when these disciples step out, in a sense, of this bodily presence of Jesus Christ, there was so much more that they were going to learn through the Holy Spirit. At the moment, they didn't understand it. And Jesus says, it's good for you. Because if I don't go away, if I don't leave you, the counselor will not come. The counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
I'm going to send him to you. So it was a prerequisite for the Holy Spirit to come and start his ministry is that Jesus would have to go. Jesus would have to leave for the Holy Spirit to come. And that was a very important step. And Jesus declares it himself. Now before Pentecost, the Spirit could not do in the people what he is doing today and has done since Pentecost. He couldn't do it. In the Old Testament, understand, he was temporal. In the Old Testament, he was not upon all of the believers. In the Old Testament, he indwelt some to empower them, but not to stay. Others, he was upon. And for many who believed, he was neither upon nor in. Why? In the Old Testament, it was not for the Spirit to govern. What was to govern in the Old Testament was the law. Was the law. And it was the obedience then to the law. Where in the New Testament, it is the obedience unto the Spirit as he leads you. And not to the law. In that Old Testament, those saints were obedient to the laws. In the New Testament, we're learning to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit as he teaches and ministers to us. Pentecost simply meant 50. 50. This feast was held the fifth day after the Feast of First Fruits. Pentecost is a Greek word, not a Hebrew word. It is a Greek word, Pentecost. And it changed its name from what it once was, the Feast of Weeks, to Pentecost. Some have said that we really don't know the real meaning of the Feast of Weeks. But years later, a rabbi took Pentecost and made it a celebration of the law. And today we celebrate it as the coming of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. The coming of the Spirit is based on Jesus' going. And before Pentecost, the Spirit could not do in people what he is doing now. The Holy Spirit could not make believers part of the body of Christ. Why? There was no such thing in the Old Testament as the body of Christ. Secondly, the Holy Spirit could not live in every believer because the law, again, was to govern. It was only temporal. Come 
and go. And for special assignments, like a Samson, he didn't baptize believers. Because there is no body, in a sense, to baptize them into or to place them in for a work to be done. He didn't disperse spiritual gifts to them, as we know in the New Testament, for the edification of the church and the believers. He didn't seal any that we know of in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, he is our guarantee that we're going to see Christ face to face. And we've been sealed and marked that we are the children, the beloved of God. We've been sealed by him. Now, God's spirit was not given to all the people who believed in that Old Testament, simply again. Why? Because they were governed by law, not by spirit. And the spirit was given to those who were to do special things, carry out a special task, do a special work, be a prophet, be a messenger of God. To be someone like Samson or to be a David. You hear David in Psalm 51, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You, you're able to hear that and so forth. Ezekiel, he, he over and over again, he states of the spirit that is in him. Not outside of him, but the spirit that is in him. And others you will hear them say that the spirit was upon me. But in the New Testament... He comes simply to dwell in the believer. And one of the most important parts about him dwelling in the believer is that Jesus, Paul says it this way, if the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, you're none of his. If the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, you're none of his. You don't belong to him. Now, the Holy Spirit, he's not given to all because Jesus has not been glorified yet. And same thing in the Old Testament. Jesus had not been glorified. Same thing takes place in the New Testament. Go to John chapter 7. Go to verse 39. get there. He simply says, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who would believe in him were later to what? Later to receive. John chapter 7 and verse 39. That they would receive him later. The Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified in 39. By this he meant the Spirit 
whom those who believe in him were later to receive. They didn't receive the moment that they believed. But they believed. Now you have to understand something about the Gospels. The Gospels are also a period of transition. The Gospels also is a period of transition, just like we often call the book of Acts a time of transition. The Gospel is a time of transition. It is a time of transition from law to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ based on whether we believe in him or not believe in him, develops that relationship. Remember, God was silent for 400 years. All they practiced was what they knew from the Old Testament. Now somebody new come on the scene by the name of Jesus and begin to teach something altogether different. And even takes it further. He didn't do away with the law. He fulfills the law. But he exemplifies how we live it out. And we live out, in a sense, the law today through the one, Jesus Christ. Who lived out the law. And he simply says that to his disciples, the spirit has not yet been given. And what's so important about Pentecost is that the spirit, he comes. He comes. He comes to change the vision. He comes to cause us to see things differently. He comes to teach us more than what Jesus had taught us. He comes to build on what Jesus himself had taught. And Jesus said, as much more I desire to say to you, but you're not ready for it yet. But the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will not speak of himself. But he will take of mine and reveal it unto you. He will teach us from that whole perspective. And you and I have to move from one place to another, recognizing that yes, the Spirit of God, He is working in us for one purpose, the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus. Pentecost, first day of the week. Take note of this now. Jesus rose when? First day of the week. Churches started when? First day of the week. The Holy Spirit is given on the first day of the week. The church begins the first day of the week. Believers are baptized in the Holy Spirit the first day of the week. And there's two elements that bear witness in the text that we're going to talk about of the Spirit. Why? Again, 
Nobody. Nobody. So what does God do in order for the Holy Spirit to be recognized and to be known? The Holy Spirit comes to change our vision. Every man, as he grows up, has some goals or visions for himself. You've heard me say, my goal was to be retired at 50. You heard me say that my goal, I had started my own business. I got my own identification number from Washington. And Brown's Heating and Service Company was slowly going. And I had planned to leave Chrysler, not to go to school, but to leave Chrysler to go full-time into my furnace business and then be retired by the age of 50. Now, that was my goal. See? But this Lord who I serve somehow stepped into my life and changed that. Rather than leaving Chrysler to step into my own business, I left Chrysler to go to school. And that's how God somehow steps into our life and begins to change things in us. Rather than Elaine and I being divorced, he steps into our life, he heals our marriage, he teaches me to be comfortable at home. I don't have to be out kicking it with the boys on Friday and Saturday and leave her at home with the kids. I found a different view, a, a different vision, a different comfort just being at home and enjoying the kids and I knew the Lord had did a big work in me when I didn't have to buy no new car every two years he comes to change us he comes to work in our life go to Acts chapter 1 1 through 5 because there's something very important here that he gives direction for And let me share this with you. Believing and obedience is always rewarded. Obedience and believing, they always go together. The problem is with a lot of us as Christians, we believe but we don't obey. We believe but we don't obey. And if you don't obey you'll never see what God will do. So it's in the believing and the obedience that you're able to see what God is able to do in your life and how he wants to use you. So in Acts there in chapter 1, he starts off with, he says exactly what Jesus is saying. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. And unlike that, he chose. He chose. And without the Holy Spirit, and Matthias is chosen before the Holy Spirit ever comes, Jesus did the choosing. And boy, if you look at this and see ourselves. 
then our Christian life will often run ahead of Jesus. He never instructed them to choose another apostle. He never gave that command. And if you look at the text here, you'll see from the time that Judas died, Jesus had time to appoint or choose another apostle. But he didn't do it. Jesus himself had time to do that. He goes on and he says, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs. Now, what's so important about convincing proofs? You're not going to obey somebody who's just a figuration of your mind. It's just a myth in your mind. So Jesus proved to them that he was alive. If you really want to know him and you ask him, Lord, prove to me that you exist and begin to watch your life. Begin to monitor your thinking. Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I want to know you. Are you real? Do you really exist? Is this just something that men wrote up? Or can I trust the Bible? Can I trust you? Boy, that's hard for us. But it was hard for these disciples. Because why? They knew he was dead. Now, when you get to ask the one of the biggest things that's discussed is his resurrection, his resurrection, his resurrection. Why? Because they wanted people to know that Jesus was alive. Jesus is alive. And we're trying to convince people today that Jesus is what? Is alive. Yes, most people will acknowledge he was a man. He did live. But the big question is this. Was he God and did he come forth from the grave? And he said he gave many proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. This is no myth. It didn't just happen once. It just didn't happen twice. It happened over 40 days. Him proving himself that he was alive and not dead. And he was not some mirage. He was not something that, boy, they had a little bit too much wine as it's thought of in chapter 2 here. But that he was real. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion while he was eating with them. Wait, wait a minute. Dead, dead people don't eat. What is he doing with them? He's eating with them. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. After all the proof, after the 40 days, then comes the command. 
Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. But wait. And I imagine some of them may say, wait for what? What I have to wait for? When you're not fit for something and you're not ready to leave or to go, the thing is to have patience. See, that's the hardest thing for us as parents sometimes to do is when I send my kids out, are they really ready? My kids were ready to go out. And I sent them we didn't talk about what college you're going to. All three went to Liberty. That was my choice. I chose the college. Why? It's coming out my pocket. <laughs> and somehow, they just all were obedient and were willing to do. And I sent them away. Because what we had instilled in them, now we wanted to see how they would live. Because the base is laid. The foundation is there. Now how are they going to live it? Mark Jr. will be stepping out in another year or so. The base and the foundation is there. The question is now, how is he going to live it? What choices are he going to make? And see, one of the things that we have to recognize is this. Teach our children how to make good decisions. Teach them how to fact find and put their facts together and look at their different options that are before them. We need to be able to teach them that. That they themselves can make good decisions, but if they do not know how to reason, if they do not know how to use the facts, if they do not know how to look at all their options, they make bad decisions. And Jesus says for them, wait. And he's telling them to wait because they're not fit yet to go out. They're not ready yet to go out. They don't have what they need to go out. And that's something that each one of us have to recognize that there comes that time that, yes, they're just not ready. They're not ready. They're not ready. And the thing is, we have to get to a point where, yes, we've trained them, and they're ready. They're ready. They're ready. And we're going to send them out because we have poured into them a good foundation. And we want them to go and show forth that they are capable. And Jesus had time, like I said, to pick another apostle. He could have chose someone else. He didn't. He says, wait. The Holy Spirit is coming to establish his church. Let the Holy Spirit now establish the church, establish the workers, prepare the hearts, let the Holy Spirit begin to do what only he can do in leading the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
He gives convincing proof that he's alive. We went through that. The command of Jesus was to give them. He gave them this command. Wait. He gives them the command. Wait. Now, wait why? Because Jesus knew his disciples were absolutely unfit for the work that was going to be before them. They were not ready to tackle the work. And let me share something with you. If you have not the Holy Spirit in you and you are just religious, you cannot tackle the real work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not even in your own personal life. And the Spirit is going to do the teaching, the leading, and the empowerment. And the disciples are still caught in their old vision. And the Spirit is going to have to give them a different vision. Now, in verse 6 of chapter 1, we see where they're still at. Go to verse 6 of chapter 1. After Jesus had done all this, and he even says in verse 5, in a few days the Holy Spirit will come. But in verse 6, look where their mind's at. Look where their vision is at. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still stuck on what? The kingdom of Israel. Now let me share something with you. One of the ways that you know that the Holy Spirit is working in your life is that everything is not about who. But it's really about God and his work. If everything is about you and everything is centered around you, the Spirit of God has not taken control. The Spirit of God has not taken control. But when the Spirit of God comes in, you can lose this, you can lose that, and you can let all this other stuff go. Once I understood that I was called to be a pastor, I sold my shop. I sold my brake, my shears, my layout table. I sold everything, all my furnace supplies and so forth. Because why? I was no longer doing that. And even after I started in pastoring, people would call me to come fix their furnace or do this or do that. And one day I was laying up in an attic repairing a furnace and the Lord said, last one. Because it was dividing me between the pastorate and doing this work. And my goal was, Lord, this is extra money, Lord. You know, the church isn't all that wealthy, Lord. I can do a little bit better, Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And I said, no more. No more. And at some point, you stop living your own life in a sense and you begin to live in a manner that God would have you to live. And you can recognize the changes that take place 
you can recognize the changes. At some point, this is the last time we really hear about the kingdom of Israel from the apostles. Why? When they get in chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit comes, it's no longer about Israel. It's something much bigger. It's about the whole world. Their vision had changed. And it was no longer just about Israel, no longer just about me, no longer just about a Jew. Because as they traveled through Acts, boy, who else comes in? All those Gentiles, Samaritans, all these other folks come in. And you also see that in 1A, into the whole world you're going to go to. Hey, Lord, we're only interested in Israel. We're only interested in black folks. No, we're only interested in white folks. No, we're only interested in the Chinese. No, we're only interested in... No, we're interested in every man, every woman, every child. Why? Because God gave his son for all. For God loved the whole world. All that are in it. He gave his son. Not just to a white group, not just to a black group, not just to a red or yellow group. He gave it for humanity. All of us. All of us. Now, they had need of a vision of God, and that's what's going to happen on Pentecost. Their vision will change. And when we believe and obey, we will see God at work. But the two have to go together. You can't just say, I believe, and do your thing. It won't work. But when you believe and begin to be obedient unto Scripture, you'll see God at work in your life. So in Acts 2.1, we begin to see something. Go to Acts chapter 2 with me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound. Remember, he has no body. So how are they going to identify if the Holy Spirit has come? They have ears to hear. So God does it by a mighty rushing wind. Something that was different than just a regular wind blowing. but they were able to hear it. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. What did he ask them to do? Wait. In one place, they were together. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were. They were able to hear it. They were able to hear something different than just the normal wind blowing. They heard something. Then it goes a little further. They saw what seemed to be a tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. They saw something. They heard. They saw. 
the Holy Spirit in your life, you should be able to hear and see. You should be able to hear him speak to you through scripture and take scripture sometime when you're having your devotions and you're in the word and he stops you right there and he begins to talk to you about that. You're hearing him. When he takes scripture and he applies that scripture to your life at that moment and he's talking about your life, you're hearing him. You hear him, you're obedient to it, and then eventually you begin to see it. You begin to see it. And that's what gives the Christian the confidence of the Holy Spirit living in them over what they hear and what they see. And sometimes the hearing is not even personal where it's directly to me, the hearing is that I have heard something that he's done in Roscoe's life. And I know Roscoe couldn't do that. But the work of the Holy Spirit has done it. The change is something the Holy Spirit has done, not something flesh and blood has done. The evidence of the Spirit at work. And that whole process with Brother Fisher, it's, it's, it's the Spirit working in him. It's the Spirit doing something. It's the Spirit changing that life. For if any man be in Christ, they are what? A new creature. Now catch what else it says. Old things begin to do what? Pass away. What are those old things? Some of your old habits begin to fall off as you begin to pick up new habits. So you're able to hear and you're able to see. Not the body, but the action of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and he says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. You should be able to experience that there's something different in you than what was there. A day ago, ten minutes ago, a week ago, a year ago. There's something different in you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit now has come in. And it's an experience. Not an experience, boy, you lost it, you down on the floor rolling. No. It's an experience from within. That you know there has been a mighty change in you. And these men at this point recognized after waiting, something then changed. Something has changed. And they're experiencing something that they had not experienced before. They heard it, they seen it, and then recognizing something inside of them that is different. When you believe and obey, you will hear and you will see. You will hear and see, but it's all based on what? Wait here. Now, what would have happened if they would have took off somewhere else? What would have happened if they weren't all there together? What would have happened 
But they just went back to the Jewish temple and just started practicing their Jewishness all over again. See, a lot of us come and we, uh, we accept the Lord Jesus Christ and then we go back and live life in a normal fashion that we're accustomed to. Not recognizing that the Spirit of God, if that real thing has taken place in us and the Spirit has come into our life, that something different is going to be about it. I may have been a woman chaser. I may have been a man chaser. I may have been an alcoholic. I may have been a drug dealer. I may have been that. That there's something now that takes place that changes your outlook and your thinking. Because when you believe and obey, you will hear and see the working of the working of God. You will experience God in your life. And they saw, they heard, and they were filled. And it says the Spirit enabled them. And that word there, enable or gave them utterance, or the word gave, is to be able to furnish them with the necessary things that they had need of. The Holy Spirit furnishes us with the things that we have need of in order to live the Christ life. He provides that for us. He gives that for us. If not, we're only left to our own understanding of how we live a Christian life. And we fight with that. We battle with that. Let me give you a very simple little battle. Do I tell the truth now or do I lie? It's a $500 difference. But if I tell this little lie, I get the $500. But if I tell the truth, I may lose it. And guess what? When the Holy Spirit's there, you're battling in here. Why? Because one of the things he does in our life, he enables us to do the right things, even when it may cost us something. We'll do the right thing. We'll do what is right because he furnishes to us those things we need. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? He comes to prepare them for service. They were not ready for service. They were not really ready to go out. They were not ready to go speak to anybody. They needed intellectual power. They needed to know about things that they yet did not know about because of their ignorance. Go with me real quick just to Acts 14. Go to verse 13. Real, real quick. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and we're going to talk about Peter more next week, because remember when Peter denied Christ three times? remember Peter when he was ready to take his sword and fight and he cut off somebody's ear remember Peter but now you see a complete different Peter and it says boy when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were what? unschooled so they hadn't been to any Pharisee school. They hadn't been any, to any school of that day to gather the knowledge. Let me share something with you. 
It's good to go to school, to seminaries, to a Bible college. That's all good and it's helpful. But the best thing you'll ever do is just get into the Word of God itself. I love talking theology with other pastors and so forth. And boy, we'll go back and forth. But I saw men out at my present church. It's so, boy, Pastor Valentine was good, well, everything. But those men sometimes would tear him up in the Bible because they were Bible students, not theological students. Sometimes they didn't understand his words, but there's times he didn't understand them and the simpleness of their faith to just believe what Scripture says. And when you catch somebody who's just a good Bible, it's good to know the theology because there's different views of theology out here. But there's one Bible that he calls you to know. You get in that Bible and you learn that Bible, you'll be just as good as any seminary student or anybody else. You just got to know that word. And you love the word. And never forget this. The real teacher is not Pastor Brown. The real teacher is your Holy Spirit that lives in you. That's the real teacher. My job sometimes is just to make you aware, somehow wake you up to something, just share something with you. But the Holy Spirit takes you to a different level with it that I can't take you. And it's the Holy Spirit who does the convicting if this is true or not. I can't convict you. I can't make you say this is true. But the Holy Spirit is able to say to you, this is truth. And you will hear it. And you will believe it because he convicts your heart of it. They needed the power of the Spirit to stay with the word. In the sense of the ability to do what is right in ministry sometimes. Boy, it's often, it's, it, it can be very tempting. I've sat in my office at times, and I'm glad that my chair reclines back. Because what I see in front of me, I really don't need to see. I need to look up. <laughs> Not this way. And I remember Pastor Sovine telling us one time in class, a woman came into his office, she started undressing. He said he never stopped counseling. He never made it any attractive about it. He just kept doing what he was doing. And when it was over, she had put her clothes back on. Huh. He made sure he stayed on his side of the desk. Okay. Then there's money that's offered to you. Hey. And people will do this and do that. You know, I had one pastor and a, one of the trustees who was with me, and we were out eating, and he came over to me. He said, Pastor Brown, let's do this. Uh, I'll pay you 500 Come do my revival, and you call me in a couple of weeks, and I'll come over and do yours, and you pay me 500 No, we don't make deals. We do the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if I go somewhere, if you don't have to pay me, and there's a lot of places I went and I've spoken, and I told I got to pay from the church. I don't need to be paid again. When the choir would go down with us to uh, uh, do a certain day, 
I usually always took the money that was given to me and gave it to the choir or the praise team to buy the stuff that they needed. Or I had beer. Take them out to dinner or something. They had to do the right thing because that's what God would have them to do. There are plenty of opportunities in ministry to do the wrong thing. And this is the biggest thing, to take advantage of people. We are not called to take advantage of people. We are called to lift people up. No matter what type of a lifestyle they come from, we're called to lift them up to a higher plane. They needed this. Why? The carnality was still there. Because I'm saved, that don't mean I won't sin. You'd be surprised how many pastors have to leave because of embezzlement. How many pastors have to leave because of immorality. It shouldn't be. And it shouldn't be in your life. Whatever standard you hold for me should be for you. Why? We're all ministers. We've all been called to serve Christ. Because I'm a pastor, is no bigger honor to be a pastor than what Mark is as the pastor of his home. Each one of you are a pastor. Charles is a pastor of his home. He pastored his shepherd, him and his children. Vic is a pastor of his home. Arlen is a pastor of his home. Each one of you are pastoring and teaching and leading your flock, which is basically your home. Your home. That's why one of the scriptures says, boy, yeah, if the wife has a question to ask, she needs to ask who? Her husband. What's the problem with us today? Not too many husbands. Most wives have more religious or scriptural knowledge than who? Than the husbands. And sometimes Elaine can put me to shame. The whole thing is this here. We can fall because that carnality is still there. That old nature is still there. And we can fall into it very quickly. They needed a new power of affection and will because of the focus against them, the forces against them. When you love somebody, the question comes into play. How much will you allow that person to hurt you? One of the questions I ask ladies and men, especially when they talk about their thinking about a divorce, and I ask the mother very quickly, what would it take for you to divorce your son or your daughter? What must they do to you to cause you not to love them. They can't do anything to cause me to stop loving them. Well, why can't you do that with your husband? Or husband, why can't you do that with your wife? And 
He tells us there in 1 Corinthians 13, love never faileth. But love has to be able to endure. Love has to be able to endure. And when you really love somebody, you really give them the freedom to hurt you. And you don't believe it, take a good look at the cross. You give them the freedom to hurt you. And you have to believe at that point this, love faileth not. You keep just loving. You just keep loving. You just keep doing what's right. Amen. And that's what God had to teach. But the Holy Spirit has to teach this, but also empower them to keep loving the unlovable. Keep caring for the unlovable. Keep ministering to those who hurt you. Doing good to those who do bad to you. Doing good to those who talk about you. They needed that ability. And they needed the will to do that. And the Holy Spirit strengthens their will. Because to love somebody is an act of your will. It's your choice. It's your will that says, I'm going to stay here. It's your will that says, I'm going to keep doing good to this person. It's your will that says, this too shall pass and I can endure it. It's your will. And you want to see that in action. Look at God. God had every reason to destroy everything. But God's will to love us, to love us to a point that he would send his son to die for us. That was an act of God's will. They needed power to accomplish what they aimed at. To stay with it and know this is what they were going to do. Pentecost is a change for the disciples from being just main followers and being spectators. Because they followed Jesus and they mainly watched Jesus do ministry. They had some involvement, but not much. But when Jesus left, guess who's totally involved? And they needed that power and that ability now to not just be followers, but to be participants, to be involved. And we see it then in two. It's not Jesus speaking to the multitude. It's who speaking to the multitude? The disciples. Peter speaking. And they begin to participate. Pentecost moves us from being alone and separate and individuals. And Pentecost moves us into a collective body of believers. And in that verse 14 in chapter 2, it's amazing what it says there. He comes down, he says, but since they could see the man who had been, oh, I'm chapter 4, I want to get to 2, 2.14. Then Peter stood up with the 11. 
Peter stood up, but they all were up. It was not just one. When the body of Christ functions, we do it together. And we're still learning how to do that. It shouldn't be Akron Lions Fellowship and Greater Hope or Apostolic This or This Over Here. It should be one body of believers functioning. We're still learning how to do that even in this little body. How to function as a team, as one. And any basketball coach, football coach, any coach always has that problem. How do we function at one? And you really want to see it, the difference from a dysfunctional family and a family. A family is one that functions together, do things together, vacation together, work together, build together. Dysfunctional is individuality. Individuality. I'll do my thing. Mom does her thing. Dad does his thing. The children do their thing. It's not family. It's not cohesive. We're individuals. And what happens at Pentecost? We become one family, one body in Christ. You and I have to make that decision. Are we going to function as one body? Or do we function as individuals? No one person could build this church. No one person can do everything here. But you function off of your gifts and your talents that God has given you. And you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in the endeavors that you participate in. Oftentimes, sometime in church, we'll make a list of ministries or we'll start this committee to do this or we'll start this to do this. It is so much better when it just flows from the heart. When it just flows from the heart. It's not hard to put something together when it just flows from the heart. And people want to do ministry because they're being prompted by the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians, he tells us, and this is what happens to us, don't grow weary in well-doing. It doesn't happen fast. Sometimes it takes years for God to accomplish all that he's going to accomplish. But we are people who want it instantly. Instantly. But if you don't grow weary in well-doing, you'll see the fruit of your labor. You'll see what God will do. Amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit has been given to you to train you, prepare you, empower you for service in the body of Christ. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord for the work that you're doing in our life. And you're the only one who can do it. No pastor, no elder, no deacon, no bishop, no man with towers can do what the Holy Spirit is capable of doing in the life of a believer who desires to know you and want to serve you. 
And my prayer is, Lord, that you would speak to everyone here. They may have heard, they may not have heard, but as they leave here today, Lord, may your Holy Spirit bring it back to their remembrance. May your Holy Spirit captivate them into something that was said today. May they have to wrestle with something that they've heard today. And may the hound dog of heaven go after them and not allow us to take off on our own path, take off doing our own thing, take off just being religious and not being a follower after the Lord Jesus Christ and being that Christian that you desire us to be. Lord, would you work in our hearts? Would you work in my heart and continue to draw me closer to you? Would you draw all of us closer to you? And would you bring us to that place that we hear and see what you are doing? Help us to see, Lord. Help us to hear. Help us to experience you. Help us, oh God, to want more of you. And Lord, we'll give you praise and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.